Welcome to Everything STEAM. I'm your host, Sam Stanford. As a physicist and structural engineer in training with Jacobs Engineering, I've made many connections with some bright individuals who are either working, studying, or self-taught and passionate about our particular topics of discussion. As advertised, this episode is about big numbers. Big numbers are literally all around us. From the water we drink, the universe we reside in, or heck, even the chances of picking the jack of hearts from a deck of cards at random. In this episode, my guest star and I break down what big numbers are, why they matter, how we can interpret them more easily, and of course, how we can measure them on a number scale. Throughout the episode, we will be providing real-world physical applications like governmental budgets and statistical applications such as your chances at the casino. And then we finish out the episode by talking about the definitions of infinity. I couldn't do this myself, so my team and I searched the internet and found the perfect human to discuss big numbers. Luckily, we were able to find Matthew Broussard. Matthew is a disgraced financial analyst forced into stand-up comedy. The byproduct of a Cajun chemist and a Jewish microbiologist, he holds a degree in computational mathematics that he always manages to bring up, and he just did. And quoting Matthew here, he said he's fully aware <laughs> of how douchey he looks. <laughs> His comedy is heady, self-efficating, and weirdly educational. He's performed on The Tonight Show, Conan, Jeff Ross Presents Roast Battle, The Comedy Central Half Hour, and some stuff with MTV2 he doesn't really like to talk about. So you can catch him in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, The League, The Mindy Project, and alongside Billy Crystal and Tiffany Haddish in the film Here Today. And last but not least, he's the creator of the webcomic and puzzle app Monday Punday. Do yourself a favor and check out his work on Instagram at Monday Punday. Well, now that you've been introduced to the topic of this episode and our fantastic guest star, we are going to dive headfirst into our commercial. But when we come back, you'll get an introduction into big numbers, what they mean, why we care about them, and how we can conceive them. Enjoy. Hello, my fellow listeners. Welcome to the Big Numbers episode featuring yours truly, Matthew Broussard. Thanks for being on the show, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. My first math podcast. I've done a billion comedy podcasts. I saw your post on Reddit looking for mathematicians, and I am not one uh, officially. So I'm, I'm glad you still have me on. Glad I could uh, skate by. Yeah, I'm a comedian by trade, but I have a, a background in mathematics. Still love it very, very much. And uh, happy to share that enthusiasm with a fellow math nerd. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that. So how are you keeping in tune with your mathematical abilities? And what kind of work do you do on the side in mathematics? On the side, I have been tutoring with an organization called BEAM. Big shout out to BEAM, Bridge to Enter Advanced Mathematics. I don't know their mission statement. I can summarize it very quickly is that we find students with high abilities in mathematics at a very young age who don't necessarily have the resources to pursue the strongest mathematical foundation. We help them with uh, not just in their learning, but in, in resources, in financial aid, summer programs, outside enrichment. And we, we help them all the way from middle school through the end of college and into employment. It is my, I feel my best way to help people in a system that does not allow a lot of mobility. I think a STEM or STEAM, sorry, background is a great opportunity, uh, is a great bridge out of social immobility. Uh, my father grew up very poor, was a very gifted scientist, and was able to 
make a great career as a scientist and that has benefited me and my extended family. So love that. So I tutor that. Uh, I get to tutor really fun subject. I get to do like calculus, calc two, linear algebra, a little differential equation, some complex analysis. So very, very fun math for me. And I get to relive some of my favorite moments in math. And outside that, I also take uh, some online courses. I watch a lot of three blue, one brown. Boy, I can watch that stuff forever. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I was going to shout out Beam. I'm glad you did. But yes, please yeah. check out Beam at beammath.org. Like you said, it's helping out a lot of students in that grade range. And it's helped mm -hmm. actually, I did a little bit of research, and it has helped about 1,500 students get free STEM education since 2011, which is very, yep. very nice. And, and growing. Uh, and growing, exactly. So uh, I want to say if you want to throw out a donation to help out a student in need, you know, to become a programmer, engineer, mathematician, and much more, you know, consider it a long-term investment to society and also making their lives a little bit better. So this first segment is kind of an introduction to numbers in terms of how we scale numbers across the globe and also how we can picture these massive numbers. So maybe it would be best to conceptualize what are considered big numbers. So Matt, do you have any thoughts on that? So I come from an applied math background. So when I think of big numbers, I think of things you run into when you're trying to compute things. So we had a conversation before this. You as an engineer tend to think of big numbers as big distances, big volumes, big uh, the number of atoms, the number of light years, the number of uh, the amount of mass. I think of very small problems that get very complicated very quickly. My favorite big number is 52 factorial, which is... 52 times 51 times 50 times 49, all the way down to one, because that is the number of possible shuffles of a deck of cards. And it's an astoundingly big number and something you theoretically come into contact with every day. But I think big, you got to hit at least trillion. You know, I think that's my minimum for a big number. I consider numbers to be big numbers with kind of two parameters in mind, uh, an ignorance factor and mm -hmm. a sense of relativity. Because big numbers to myself and uh, my profession, as well as yours, are fundamentally different to a contractor, a nurse, a you know, restaurant manager, what have you. Because we calculate and handle large quantities of things in real world and theoretical applications. Mine's a little more real world, like you said, and yours is a little more theoretical at you know much different scales. You know, for instance, uh, physicists would be interested in a total mass of the Earth, the amount of microstates in a macro state of a thermodynamic system. And those numbers are pretty insane. And as you pointed out off air, theoretical mathematics just dominates that. The second aspect, as I was saying, as I mentioned, was the relativistic scale. Because, you know, we develop what is big to us relative to the size of the being or species. What we think is small in size or quantity may be infinitesimally massive to say an ant. And in the same perspective with an ant compared to, say, something uh, in the microbiome or like a, an amoeba. Obviously, we're humans talking humans uh, here, unless we have an evolved species. Listening to this podcast would be kind of cool. But for a normal human's perspective, looking at the number scale, I think anything in like real world average person, a million is probably pretty big. Now, yes. hear me out. Yeah, because I mean, the vast majority of people and think in terms of finance. And if you look across the broad spectrum 
you know, people in the, the U.S. and the world at large, the majority of people think on scales less than a million because the mean income in the U.S. is like 30 grand. And then across the globe, it's $11,000. And that was, I think, the average in 2020. So people think in numbers in the thousands because that's pretty much what they're worried about. So Matt and I kind of established what we think big numbers are. But I'll throw this one out there before we move on. Why should the average person care about big numbers? I just like them. I don't know if I can make a good case. They, they're just exciting because they're around us and they're so hard to conceive of, yet they're right there. I think big numbers are great when it's money or friends or or performance. You know, those are those are good incentives for big numbers, I'm trying to be a billionaire. So very true. Well, even just on a real practical scale, especially with what's been going on of recent is handling misinformation. You know, recognizing whenever you're seeing something in, on the news, on social media, in the papers, you're recognizing when, when numbers are really skewed or really wrong and just doesn't make sense. So having kind of a sense of idea of what numbers should be with the application is beautiful. Uh, you can kind of skirt that information to the side. Also, right. staying in tune on a logical argument. Particularly, like, I've had a lot of conversation with different people about the U.S. budget. First of all, if you want to have conversation about the U.S. budget, you need to understand a little bit of statistics, but mostly difference in magnitude with numbers. A lot of the people that I have conversations with don't even understand the difference between a million and a billion. Mostly why I, I wanted to do this podcast. So it's really important. The people that know their numbers can can definitely discuss the U.S. budget, but then it starts to get skewed whenever... You don't know what a million versus a billion versus a trillion is. And also, math is the unwritten law of the universe. Am I right? It's the language of existence. It is the language of our reality. It is in every sci-fi book, it is the first thing we use to talk to an alien species. Assuming they came out into space, they must know math. And that is our first means of, of communicating, whether it's base 10 or base 8 or base 6, whether it's right to left or left to right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as humans come and go, you know, English, Mandarin, whatever, that goes away. And what's left is just how you describe the universe and what goes on around you. So great. So we established the foothold of what and why for big numbers. But how are numbers typically counted? Well, usually they reside on some form of a number scale. Matt, what's a good way of describing the number scale? Number scale, uh, just a line with little ticks in it. For distance, whether it's, I love centimeters. Centimeters are my favorite unit because they're a little, little skinnier than your pinky. And it's easy to think of things because, you know, 10, 10 centimeters is about four inches. So it, most people have a picture of that. Uh, then uh, 100 centimeters is a meter. That's three, a little over a yard, I think like three, uh, three feet and three inches. So a really tall person might be two meters tall. Yeah. Now, I think of the number scale also like, like a never ending bow tie. You know, the number one is kind of like the knot and mm -hmm. either direction you go, the numbers either decrease towards zero or increase towards infinity by a factor of 10, if you're referring to the decimal system. And there are, you know, like, I mean, I guess there are other number scales to it, but I just think of it on the decimal scale where you can kind of picture these zeros increasing as you get away from the knot of the bow tie. And yes. it's, it's kind of beautiful to look at it that way. Like you were mentioning, there are different base uh, systems out there. But maybe for this episode, we can just talk about base 10 because I find it probably the most simplistic to picture. 
It's yes, because we've been taught it. But at its at its heart, a very stupid system. Ten is a horrible number. We have <laughs> ten fingers. We chose ten. It's it's what is it? Two times five. It's not highly factorable. You wouldn't find other species using it unless they happen to have ten fingers as well. It's hard to picture. It seems easy because we write all of our numbers that way, but 10 is just what we're accustomed to. Oh, yeah. Good point. Maybe it's good to talk about the scientific notation of yes. decimal scale. So the scientific notation really helps us simplify the number scale. The decimal system is just a scale of 10 to a certain power that increases infinitesimally in either direction of the bow tie I mentioned. So yes. taking the number 10 is 10 to the first power. 100 is 10 to the second power, 1,000 is 10 to the third power, and so on. So really, scientific notation just tells you how many zeros follow the first digit of what you are counting. It is really your best friend when you're looking at big numbers. I mean, anybody can write out 1,000, but if you want to write 10 to a Google, you need scientific notation. So or Matt, a lot of paper. <laughs> or a lot of paper. <laughs> Very a lot true. of paper and a lot of time. <laughs> Maybe even a staff. Yes. So maybe it would be good to briefly explain the labeling system on the decimal number scale. Would you want to take a crack yeah. at it? Yeah. Yeah. It's super nice. Every time you add a zero to a number, you make it 10 times bigger. So 10 is 10 times bigger than one. A hundred's 10 times bigger than 10. A uh, thousand is 10 times bigger than a hundred. And you can keep going with this. And that just helps you it gets harder and harder to imagine something getting 10 times bigger that many times. But luckily, we, we can just write it down by saying 10 or, or E. We call it E, uppercase E, and then the number of zeros. So 10 right. E, yeah, E1 is just one zero. So that's just 10. E6 uh, would be, is that a million? Yep. 10 to the sixth is, is a million. I know that. Okay. There we go. Yes. <laughs> So let's round out the segment by touching on how we can grasp big numbers better. Uh, I'm sure as a mathematician, you have some insight on that. Yes. Yeah, so one thing I love that I remember seeing pretty early in elementary school is these building blocks they would give us that were one centimeter cube. So again, think a little, maybe the width of your pinky, right? So a little cube about that big, maybe, maybe the size of a marble, right? If that's one, that's one unit. If you stack 10 of those, that's 10. That's pretty easy to picture. If you do a 10 by 10 grid, which is, you know, nearly the size of a, of a CD case, if you happen to be alive in the 90s or before, 10 by 10, and that's something, that's a package you get from Amazon. That's 1,000. That's only 1,000. That's 10 times 10 times 10 because we're in three dimensions. Um, that helps me picture 1,000. If you want to picture a million of those uh, little cubes, you would then take those cubes and stack them 10 high. So that's what, 40, that'd be a, uh, a meter tall, a meter wide and a meter long. That would be a three foot by three foot by three foot block. And that's a, that's a big boy, but you could push it around your apartment if it wasn't too heavy. That's a million. So now we can picture a million cubes about that size. If you wanted a billion, you'd have to do that again and have a cube that's now 10 meters tall, 10 meters wide and 10 meters uh, deep. And that would be a little harder to fit in your apartment. You could fit it inside a big cathedral. And that's a billion. So you can now picture a billion of those cubes you could swim in. You could lose your keys in, uh, especially if you broke them all apart. 
So that's just one concept for a billion. Another simple way to do that is if you take that same starting cube, one centimeter by one centimeter by one centimeter, you can think about millimeters. Now, millimeters are about the width, a little bigger than the width of your pencil lead coming out of a mechanical pencil. So you can see a millimeter. It's not microscopic by any means, but I wouldn't want to fiddle. It's maybe the width of your pen stroke on, on paper. So a cubic centimeter is 10 millimeters by 10 millimeters by 10 millimeters. So in that little thing, we have now a thousand cubic millimeters in just a centimeter, right? So that, those would be, if you broke them all apart, they'd be about, you know, the size of coarse sand. But then we can, now we can go back through all those and if we start with the same 10 centimeter by 10 centimeter by 10 centimeter cube, 10 centimeters cube, right? Now we have that box. That's now what, uh, a thousand on each side? So now that's a million. And so a, a little box you can hold in your hand would have a million pieces of sand. And if we had a bigger, like a crate, the meter by meter by meter, that would be a billion. So that right. makes billion. And then you could scale that up to 10 meters cubic. But that would be a trillion. So it's a lot. You wouldn't want to have to count those one by one, but it gives you just a mental image. And those right. are those are going to be some of the smallest numbers we're discussing today. Trillions. A baby. <laughs> Very true. And. I want to add, you know, let's be honest, humans are smart, but we have our cognitive limits because, you know, our, our ancestors, uh, the hominids, they never had to concern themselves with such super large numbers. So our brains are slow to the punch in terms of, you know, evolving to grasp them. So we yes. need some help with that. You know, and I, I get it. You're trying to realize that you're flying through a universe that's 93 billion light years across with... 60 or excuse me, 70 sextillion stars and 40 quintillion black holes is quite confusing. So cross-referencing and breaking down the big number into smaller bits is how I typically tackle it as well. So for a quick example, take our national debt of $30 trillion. Inconceivable, right? Inconceivable. Everybody's complaining about it. But if you cut it into little bits, it's way easier to understand. So you have 331 million citizens in the U.S. And per citizen, if you break down the national debt, the national debt is about $90,000 per person in that matter. So it's much more reasonable, right? You're looking at 30 trillion. You can't understand it. You put it by person, break it down from uh, trillions to millions. It's, it's a lot more simpler. So yes. it's way easier to conceive you know, when it's a measurement that you are a little more familiar with as well. So right. wonderful. We're going to take a quick break. But when we return, Matt and I will be diving into the number scale and throwing some interesting examples at you. So stick around and find out. Have you ever been standing in the shower looking at the ingredients on your shampoo bottle and noticed that water is always the first ingredient? Well, I have. After a little research, I discovered that shampoo is over 80% water which is kind of like dumping bottled water on your head while you're standing in a shower. And that's why I'm excited that I found Seabar, a disposable plastic free hair care line that cleans up ocean trash with every purchase. Not only does Seabar pick up one pound of ocean trash for every item ordered, but their salon quality shampoo and conditioner concentrates come from refillable applicators, kind of like deodorant tubes. Just twist them up, rub it on over your hair a couple times, and then just lather it up like you normally would. My favorite part is how long they last. I've personally been using the same C-Bar for three months now and I've barely used any. So not only does it help save the environment, 
It's also effective, efficient, and most importantly, it saves me money. If you would like to try a better way to wash your hair, head on over to cbar.com and use our special code STEAM for 15% off your first order. Cbar, shampoo done right for you and the planet. And we are back for segment two of Big Numbers. I am your host, Sam Stanford, accompanied by the Matthew Broussard. Hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Please be sure to rate and review us at the end of the show. That is wherever you get your podcast from. Heck, if you even want, we put out a community poll and question regarding this show. We always look forward to your feedback. And of course, thanks for tuning in. So these next couple segments are going to be the sleek and sexy parts where we progress through the number scale by throwing out really good real world applications and theoretics. This segment will be focused on the physical applications. And for the last segment, it'll be all about statistical outcomes. So Matt, do you want to start with the thousands? I'm thinking that I can call out the number, give the scientific notation and briefly explain the magnitude comparison of it. And then we can kind of go back and forth and throw out some examples of that number. What do you think? Yeah, that's perfect. Sweet. All right. So first we have a thousand. So if you take 10 times 10 times 10, you get a thousand. It's effectively like we talked about with scientific notation, it's 10 to the third power. So what comes to your mind when you think thousands, Matt? Thousands is, you know, you could order thousands of something off Amazon. You could order a thousand toothpicks on Amazon. If you spill them on the floor, you could swipe them up and it would, you'd be annoyed you did it, but it's a task you could get done. So thousands is a quantity, is a household quantity within reason. Very true. Yeah. And also some major cities like around the world. Oh, yeah. You know, like Pittsburgh, Denver, Seattle, those are measured in thousands. I think Pittsburgh's around 300 some thousand. I could be wrong, but it's definitely yeah. a major city mark for sure. Population of Iceland, about 350,000. So beautiful. Oh, there's also 86,400 seconds in a day. And if you're in engineering school, I had to use that conversion a lot in like fluid flow and oh. chemistry because, you know, you would have to get these flow problems in liters or gallons per day and have to convert it to another type of volume per second. But if you want to know some cool earth science, the earth is roughly 4,000 miles in diameter on the equator. And if you're standing at the equator, you are actually rotating at, or your tangential velocity is roughly about a thousand miles per hour. So if you do the quick math, knowing the radius of the earth and the circumference formula, that's exactly it. So that's why space agencies, you know, in each country are as close as they can be to the equator. So they can use that rotational velocity to escape this rock. Yeah. Another actually pretty impressive number that can be expressed and only thousands is the number of kilometers light travels in a, a second. I believe I want to figure out what, what's the speed of light in a second. Oh, yeah. It's about uh, 186,000 miles per second. That's it. Miles per second. I know it's about 2.998 times 10 to the 8 meters per second. Yeah. So it's nearing nearing a billion meters per second. Yeah. Kilometer is hard to picture because it's, um, you know, you stand on a tall building, you can see you know, a kilometer away. Mm -hmm. But to think of almost 200,000 of those in a second is pretty remarkable. And it's also, that's the other thing about speed is speed is not something you can stack. It is a one dimensional thing. So unlike the cubes I was talking about, 
you can't take meters and set them side by side. It has to be a straight length. That's why the speed of light is so remarkable. It's a vector. It's just one dimensional in a vacuum. Always got to say in a vacuum. That's very true. You have to cover your tail that way. <laughs> but, uh, oh yeah, it's kind of a neat fact about our solar system. If you take a thousand Earths, and you can actually fit a thousand Earths inside of Jupiter. And then if you take Jupiter, wow. if you have a thousand Jupiters, you can fit a thousand Jupiters inside the sun. So it gives you kind of a pretty neat scale when you're looking at the, the solar system that we live in. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's also a cool thing, again, with dimensions, because you say it's, you can fit a thousand of them in there. But it also means if you, if you just wanted the width of the sun in Earth's, I believe it would only be a hundred because you now we're, we're saying about a million, a million earths fit in the sun. Right. But just the diameter, just the width from side to side, if you stacked a uh, hundred earths end to end, that would just be the width of the sun. If you take it in all three dimensions, that would be a million. Ooh, that's really good. I like that. Well, speaking of a million, so a million is a thousand times a thousand, which is kind of the same as taking 10 and multiplying it by itself six times because as we talked about before, a thousand is 10 to the third, it's 10 times 10 times 10. And then you multiply it by another thousand, which is 10 times 10 times 10, you get 10 to the sixth. Hence why the numbers in the millions are labeled with 10 to the sixth. So numbers in the millions, we see a lot in daily life as an individual. And we started off with thousands talking about cities. Let's talk about the largest cities. So the largest cities in the world are measured in millions. Like Shanghai or Los Angeles, New York City, London, you name it. And heck, most countries' populations are measured in millions. For example, uh, as of 2020, the U.S. population, as I mentioned before, is 331 million people Oof. <laughs> and counting. Yeah. People is a hard unit to conceptualize because they each have a soul and joy and pain. And that's not as easy as building blocks. Very true. You think about the number of people, thinking of millions of people, just astounding. Yeah. I know some people that don't even like 10 people, which is all depending upon your mood. <laughs> That's a lot of people. <laughs> oh, and another, I think, of millions we see on a regular basis is I believe a bit of information is, is it one, zero, or O, or is it eight of them? Is a bit just one binary? Yes. Because then a bit and then a, well, megabyte is, uh, well, kilobyte is a thousand bytes, megabyte Megabyte, mega is 10 to the six. Yeah, that's millions. Megabyte is millions of units of data. And we see a megabyte just on a, on a selfie. Right. The amount of information in a selfie you take is you know one or two megabytes. That's right. Depending on if it's a live photo or not. Here's a pretty cool one. According to the Smithsonian uh, Public Broadcasting System, and I also found it cross-referenced with Britannica, the earliest known evidence of hominid bipedalism was about 4.4 million years ago, which means that the earliest known ancestor of ours finally walked on two feet. And they're referred as Artipithecus rambidus, which is pretty cool. So just about 4.4 million years ago, somebody was like, mm, I'm going to start walking around on two feet. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And time's also a really staggering example when you do big numbers. Right. Because time, like speed, is it one way. It's a one-dimensional entity, you know, uh, unless you're considering general relativity in which it's intertwined with other dimensions, but time <laughs> can, you can only move in one direction through time. So you can't stack hours side by side and, and build them up on a cube. You can only just go straight through it. No road stops, no bathroom breaks. 
So say if your kid's being really bad and you want to punish them, just have them go to the room and have them count to a million. <laughs> if you do the math, it'll take about 11 and a half days and you'll get about 11 and a half days of peace and quiet. Right. It's only 11 days to count to a million? 11 and a half. Yep. That's not bad. I, I might have guessed more. Yeah, it's actually not bad. You, you use that factor, like I said about earlier, the 86,400 seconds per day. And then you multiply it out and you get mm-hmm. about a million seconds in about 11 and a half days. Huh. Yeah. Hmm. Ooh, another really cool one. So the largest ant's nest in the world had about a million queen ants inside of it. It's pretty crazy, right? Yeah. And also about 306 million worker ants. Wow. That's a big colony. Could you imagine just the volume of that colony? Yeah, it's like working for a big company, you know, <laughs> just faceless. You're another drone. <laughs> yeah. Your boss doesn't even know your name. <laughs> working for Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have the big star information? How much bigger stars are than our sun? Our sun's not a remarkable star. That's very true. That's very true. There's uh, suns out there like like Betelgeuse. Yeah. Oh, man, I wish I could pull them off off the top of my head. No, I didn't do the research for that. Yeah, I can Google it really quick, but I dare say the Earth size compared to the sun might be the sun size compared to the biggest star we know. I I, I think that's a reasonable. It might even be more astronomy just ceases to amaze anybody. I found the data. I, I very much undersold it. The largest star, known star, is uh, 1,700 times larger in radius than the sun. So if you take 1,700 cubed, that would be the volume. That's how many suns we can fit in the biggest star, which 1,700, well, let's just round that down to 1,000. Um, it would be a thousand cubed is what a billion? Yep. A billion suns can fit into the biggest star. And that's, and that would be off by, I mean, that's, that's, I think you would have to multiply by another five. Right. So five billion suns, just inconceivable. And that's nothing compared to the vast emptiness of space between those stars. Right. Which turns those gigantic behemoths into just dots in our night sky. Very true. Holy man. That's, exactly kind of like what sorry we're doing billion i keep jumping for millions and billions no that's great because it just gives me a transition right into billions so we've alluded that billions big right but let's kind of put it in perspective so a billion is just a thousand times a million or if you take 10 and multiply it by itself nine times you get that so 10 to the ninth it's also carl sagan's favorite number Billions and billions. Billions. <laughs> because, I mean, billions are literally referred to as the astronomical subset of numbers. You see billions everywhere. For example, there's an estimated 100 to 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy itself. So if you're talking about stars, which have their little solar systems, and then you scale up to uh, galaxies, there's about 100 billion galaxies in the known universe. So, yeah, it's pretty nuts. And we're going to get to that number later about, you know, the amount of stars in the universe. Another good number, 100 billion, which is what, uh, 9, 10, 11, 11, 10 to the 11th power. Is that right? Yes. So that's the number of humans that have existed. Yeah. And about what, 7, 8 billion of them are on Earth right now. 7.9? Something like, yeah, I don't know if it's hit 8 yet. Mm-mm. So, um Maybe if we look behind some, you know, closed doors and in closets, we can find the rest of them. The census can't catch them all. <laughs> no, it cannot. 
Uh, but we think that might be such a big number, but most people, I would, over 90% of people have already existed. So a lot of people have come before us, even though the, the population of the earth is so much bigger than it's ever been. Even a hundred years ago it was maybe the 10th this size. Is that, yeah? Probably, you know, it, it's exponential growth. And again, humans are a thing I cannot scale down to a more conceivable notion because one human being is all you really know inside the star dome that is your uh, own brain. So very true. Yeah. Oh, we even mentioned, like I said, uh, astronomers found that the observable universe is roughly about 93 billion light years across and expanding. Across. Yes. Across. That means also wide and tall. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's, I believe, that's a sphere. We have to do that as a sphere because we can only look out in every direction. Yes. And of course, our universe is 13.8 billion years old, dating back to the Big Bang, which birthed the many first, second, and third generation stars, ours in particular, the sun, we call it soul, is a second gen mm-hmm. star. And the early solar system formed our planet, Earth, which is about 4.6 billion years old. And we know that from radiometric dating rocks and also some right. NEOs that fell into our lap. That's also interesting to me that you would think the age of the Earth versus the age of the universe, that it would be some major factor. True. Uh, Earth has been around for one third of the time our universe has existed since the big bang as we know it now. And, uh, and it's 93 billion light years across. <laughs> right. Right. It's ex- going the speed of light in every direction. Uh, every, every moment we've existed, that sphere is getting bigger, right? Whew, a lot bigger. And when did single celled life appear? Was it 4 billion years ago or 2 billion? It was about, Ooh, I want to say there's, there's a big time gap in which there's like, um, beginning stages of life, which kind of form near the vents in the bottom of the, of the oceans. Yes. Is it 3.6? I'm going to look it up really quick. Oh, when did multicellular, if I do multicellular appear? Oh, multicellular uh, appeared about 600 million years ago. So the better part of a billion. Multicellular. Oh, multicellular. So single-celled. I think, sing- okay, single-celled, I think, is like 3. something, 3.6, 3.8. Yeah. Yeah, in that range. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in a grand scheme, it wasn't that long between Earth starting and life starting. I mean, it was a really long time. That's just those rounding errors between 4 and 4.6 billion. True. Long time. And then it took another 3 billion years before two cells looked at each other and be like, hey, you want to hang? You want to uh, do our homework together? You know? And uh, then multicellular life proliferated. And uh, humans haven't been around that long, but life has. I mean, dinosaurs. 100 million years ago, you know, 65 right. million years ago. But life's been around a long time. It took a long time for, uh, for us to get Wi-Fi. <laughs> for us to get Wi-Fi. Actually, it took a very short amount of time because, you know, hey, you know, 50 years, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, humans as we, human civilization is only a couple thousand yeah. years old. Humans, it's, you said humans hundred, maybe 100,000 years ago. 4.4, they started walking on two feet. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty crazy. And that's hominids, uh, not homo sapiens. I can't remember about homo sapiens. I think it's like 40, 40 thousand years ago, uh, Neander- Neanderthals were still walking around the last bits of them in, uh, in Europe. Right. So yeah, five or six right. digits, I would say, in terms of years that humans have existed in a more modern form. Right. Now, now let me circle back. Remember when we were talking about time, it took about 11 and a half days to count to a million. Well, let's scale that up to we're at a billion, right? So it's about three and a half months before your 32nd birthday. 
where you hit your billionth second. There's people out there that actually celebrate this. You can <laughs> I would like you can celebrate your billionth second out of the womb. I missed mine. I'm 33. I guess I'll have to wait around to a trillion. That's the next comma. Better eat well and not drink if I want to make it that long. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, if you break it down in terms of days, that billionth second happens roughly on your 11,700th day. And it's a factor of a thousand larger because we talked about uh, 11 and a half days and then 11 and a half thousand days is your billionth second. So it's pretty easy to witness the difference in magnitude between a million and a billion. If you think about mm -hmm. it, you know, a, a, a thousand times larger, that's massive, right? But let's jump up to the next scale, a trillion, a thousand times a thousand times a thousand times a thousand, four times. Which is stupid because try and trillion is for three. Yep. Which people may not know this after a million, it starts going by numbers, billion, by two, trillion, try three. And then I won't spoil the next segment. It's the number of commas minus one. That's it. Yeah. So a trillion is 10 times itself, 12 times or 10 to the 12th. So right now, there are about three and a half trillion fish in the world's oceans, uh, which is actually less than the amount of micro and macro plastics wow. in the ocean. Wow. <laughs> it actually surpassed it. Yeah. There's an estimated 5.25 trillion pieces of plastic in the ocean now. Yeah, let's think about the 8 billion people. And you said 5 trillion? Yep, 5 trillion pieces of trash. Let's round up to 8 trillion. So that's almost a thousand Dasanis <laughs> thrown out the window per person or, or uh, you know, LaCroix cans. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So it's not inconceivable to get to those numbers when you look on a per person basis. Yes, that's exactly why whenever we were talking about trillion with the national debt, Perfect way to do that, break it down into people. People can understand kind of people a little bit better. Yes. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you're out there, you know, surface fishing in the ocean, you have a greater chance of catching a piece of plastic than you do a fish for a meal. That's depressing. <laughs> that is very depressing. Oh, and we talked about time, 31,000 years. It takes you to get to your trillion second. So it's increasing by a factor of a thousand again, just like about 31 years it took to get your billionth, 31,000 now to get to your trillion. So yeah, definitely eat right and you know keep exercising, Matt. You might get to it. <laughs> yeah. If we unfroze a Neanderthal, they would get to say they're uh, a trillion seconds old. Yes. 31,000. All right. We got to find it. <laughs> oh, so the average human body has about 37.2 trillion cells. Wow. Which of course runs in cycles. Researchers at Stanford University say that every seven to 10 years, you get yourself a new vessel, meaning all your stuff gets uh, traded out. So cells get swapped out in the body and all 37.2 of them, you know, disappear. It's pretty cool. What time? Every seven or eight years? Seven to 10. Seven to 10. Okay. I, I have underwear older than that. So maybe I should uh, switch out my wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> no, it stands the test of time. They're like, Matt, we remember you when you were a young boy. <laughs> Oh, and also the size uh, of, of a cube of sugar, there is about 1 trillion bacteria just hanging out. In it, not part of it. No, no, no. Like if you took like the size of, of, oh, a, of oh, a sugar cube, okay. there's about a trillion bacteria in that small size. Yep. Size of a sugar cube. Wow. God, I forget how small single-celled organisms are. Yeah. Microbes are nuts. So small, which is weird because you can bust out a microscope in a middle school science lab and, and see cells. Yeah. And I remember seeing cells at this time that they were small, but they weren't that small. 
because you'd look at them and you'd look at it on the little petri dish with your eyes you're like i can see where i'm looking i can't make out the shape of it and you just put it under there and you're like oh yeah okay there it is there it is yeah i need a little assistance but not that much it's not like an electron microscope where we'll, we'll never have even a hope of seeing a molecule or an atom special assistance we need from an electron microscope to see anything yes yeah we can't use visible light at that point yeah pretty cool pretty cool stuff so uh we're talking big numbers now we're moving on to quadrillion so that's a thousand times bigger than a trillion like i said there's kind of a pattern to this the alien is kind of coined in latin mm -hmm. for numbers that are a thousand times greater than the one before that so you have a million thousand times greater than a thousand and you have a billion by two which is like a bicycle which is the second stage of a thousand times greater than a million and so on and so forth but here we have a quadrillion right that is a trillion times bigger than a thousand or one with 15 zeros behind it in scientific notation that's 10 to the 15th or multiplying 10 by itself 15 times wow yeah the first thing that kind of popped up to me whenever I was doing my research for this. So a hundred quadrillion, that's the number of sounds and words ever uttered by humans that have ever lived. Wow. So anything that just comes out the voice in counting. <laughs> wow. I'm trying to picture a trillion with the scale I used before. So a little centimeter cube, mm -hmm. that's a thousand. So now uh, a decimeter cubed would be a million, so that's four inches on each side. Mm -hmm. Now a meter, a box that's a meter wide on every side, that would be a billion. Mm -hmm. Trillion would be 10 meters by 10 meters. A 10 meter cube would have a trillion cubic millimeters in it. So that would be a big old box. And now a hundred meters cubed, which is a box that would squash a soccer field. Oh yeah, yeah. And if you think about just a big box of sand, of little cubic things, that would be, I guess, a quadrillion. Yeah. So it's a conceivable number. It's something we could see the micro version and a macro version. The macro version would just be so darn big. Absolutely. Ooh, talked about black holes before. So just want to reiterate that there is an estimated 40 quadrillion black holes that are either roaming or at the center of each galaxy in the universe. Wow. Which is pretty neat. Yeah, super crazy. And a little over a quadrillion seconds ago, the dinosaurs were facing the KT extinction. Wow. About 65 million years ago. Wow. That's pretty close. Yeah. Only a million years off or so. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty nuts. A little quick plug. If you want to learn about mass extinctions, check out the Earth's mass extinctions episode that we just did about a couple weeks ago. Yeah, we talked about the KT extinction. And ooh. Another good one on supercomputers if you're a tech person. Yeah. So the Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee, there is a supercomputer there that runs calculations crazy fast, about 200 quadrillion calculations per second, which is about a million times faster than your average laptop. Wow. Supercomputers are really cool. I want to do a podcast on them. They're super fascinating. They're fascinating. Yeah. Imagine just the, the speed of being no. able to do something. <laughs> I can't begin to imagine. And then like, there's very specific kinds of math you can do oh, yeah. on that that are very useful. We, we, yeah. High, high power computation. I think that's better for our next section though, on the uh, theoretical computational big numbers. Absolutely. So speeding up this, uh, the next one is quintillions. Quintillion. 18 zeros behind it. So 10 to the 18 or 10 times itself, 18 times. So 
have you ever just walked on a beach and just wondered how much sand is there? Yes, all the time. So I uh, did a little digging and did a quick calculation. One average beach holds about one quintillion pieces of sand. Wow. So it's still a terrestrial number. Yes. Something that you can kind of see with your own eyes. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, here's some more earth stuff. So the earth is made up of about 97% salt water, 3% fresh water. There is about 353 quintillion gallons of salt water on earth. Wow. Yeah. Just imagine if we were actually using desalination plants across the globe, a third of the human population wouldn't have to face a lack of potable water. That's incredible. I actually just took a screenshot on um, TikTok right before this. Here's a fact that isn't as useful as that, but numerically useful. But there are eight times as many atoms in a teaspoonful of water as there are teaspoons full of water in the Atlantic Ocean. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to get with a sextillion. So a sextillion is one with 21 zeros behind it. So it's multiplying 10 times itself, 21 times. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. So in that case, in one cup of water, there are more molecules in one cup of water than there are cups of water in all of the oceans. Wow. Molecules? Molecules. Yeah. So now we're getting subatomic. Yeah. So I, I guess somewhere between quintillion and sextillion, we had to start th using things that are smaller than we can see. But it, it's amazing it took us that long. Yeah. Isn't it? We could still find. Yeah. So speaking of the mole, the mole is, and I, I guess I got to give a shout out to the chemistry nerds out there. It's how many particles of a substance that occupies a specific mass of that substance, right? So as we talked about, you know, there are, there's more molecules of water in one cup of water than there are uh, water in the earth's oceans. And it's actually about 10 septillion molecules to be exact in one little glass. And that's your average glass, probably like 12 ounces. Wow. That's really wild. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy, right? On top of that, uh, there are more molecules of air in one breath of air than there are breaths of air in the earth's atmosphere. So with all the air that we breathe, the water that we consume, given enough time, you've probably consumed the sweat of Cleopatra or the breath of Julius Caesar. Yeah. You've drank the pee of a dinosaur. I've heard that one for sure. <laughs> There's no way you haven't. And because that's also because mixing everything, mixing so well at every moment with water and air that there's just, yeah, there's not a chance. It's like flipping yeah. a coin that many times. What are the odds that one of those quintillion molecules hasn't been somewhere, somewhere on earth? Right. Yeah. yeah I guess it just shows how beautifully interconnected we are. Yeah. Just through that example those examples. So I have a couple like real specific ones before we're done with this segment. And the first one that comes to mind is eight times 10 to the 60th. So that's eight times 10 and then 10 times itself 60 times. Right. Can I put that number in perspective? And actually, can I go on a little tangent here? Please. So what was the, what was the last number we left off with? Uh, how many zeros was that? Sex, sextillion, 18 zeros? 21. 21, 21, 21. Right. So uh, a thing I want to bring up real quick is the Richter scale, which is similar to the decibel scale and that it is a uh, logarithmic number, meaning that each one step, each number one, it goes up every time it's one bigger. It's actually 10 times more powerful in magnitude. We just measure kind of on a base 10 system. So my friend who has a lot of trouble with mathematics was saying, um, 
you know, there was a, a devastating 7.5 earthquake. And he goes, yeah, well, we had a 5.5 here a couple of weeks ago and it wasn't that bad. It's like, yes, because even though it's only a difference of two between 7.5 and 5.5, that's a hundred times bigger. And if you were to go to 8.5, that would be a thousand. So you look at like, oh, a nine and a 10, how much worse are they? 10 times worse. Imagine they're saying, oh yeah, we're not that far apart in height. He's only 10 times taller than me. <laughs> so again, sometimes with this base 10, because, oh, we think it's just a oh, one unit bigger on the base 10 scale, or it's only a couple units bigger. So a 21 digit number like a sextillion versus a 60 digit number is inconceivably bigger. Yeah. It's that number cubed. It's just unfathomable. Because even though we think 21 and 60, we have a con concept between those two numbers. We don't. We don't at all. Nowhere close. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it almost makes your head hurt. As a human being, it's like, that's what I was saying. Those cognitive limits. It's like, man, can we really conceive some of these big numbers? And that's not even, this isn't even close to as big as the numbers that we're going to talk about. Oh, no. So... The smallest measurements of space and time are known as Planck units, formerly dubbed after the German physicist Max Planck. So how is this relevant? Well, when, when working with the early stages of the universe, just after the Big Bang, Planck time is very important when discussing the formation of the four fundamental forces of visible matter and discussing the grand unified theory or gut Check out the Four Fundamental Forces podcast that we just did to learn more about that. But this length of time to present day from the Big Bang is roughly about eight times 10 to the 60 Planck time. So instead of using seconds, we're using Planck time. It's just a different way that physicists measure time to solve problems. Yeah, it's, it's hard to, I'm not well versed in it. I just know it's the smallest unit of the time you can actually kind of things don't really happen on a shorter time scale than that because it's the smallest wavelength. So you can also think of the amount of distance light travels in a Planck unit of time is a Planck unit of length, which we might be seeing that one again. Right. But that's the smallest, just things don't really exist below that because they exist in a, like a probabilistic state between Planck lengths. That's right. Time in its most simplistic and smallest form. Yeah. So here's another good one. 10 to the 81. Again, 60 to 81, oh, they're not that different. Wrong. <laughs> so different. <laughs> you could not see, if you were look, happen to be able to look at 10 to the 81 of something, right? If you could scale it down so you could just hold, you know, have it set it in front of you, something that was 10 to the 60th next to it, you would need a crazy good microscope. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So 10 to the 81st power or 10 times 10, 81 times. That's the sum of all particles that make up the visible universe per astrophysicist calculations. So if you took all the particles, right, and started counting them up, 10 to the 81. What's I saw, I saw, I think 10 to the 81 is a little more beautiful. I saw 10 to the 78 to 10 to the 82nd. It eh, per source, it's an approximation. Right. The number of atoms in our galaxy, it's more than 10 to the 67th. I know that. It might be low 70s mm -hmm. and then the whole universe is only 10 bigger than that so think about how much bigger our universe is than just our galaxy yeah and then that's only a difference of 10 roughly 10 or so digits mm -hmm. and imagine this space is not uh, a vacuum there are things within space sprinkled around. all in yeah it. it's not emptiness you know you don't just have a star here then a star there and nothing in between it's 
Not even close. Yeah, it's not a true vacuum, right? Yeah. So next one, uh, jump it up 10 to the 90th. Building off the Planck measurements and the very first instances after the Big Bang or the Planck era, the universe was so hot that forces couldn't coalesce to form matter. It was the universe's primordial soup, so to speak. And the estimated density of that time period is 10 to the 90 or a quindecillion. Quindecillion. Uh, what, what's, what are the units on that density? The units are kilograms per centimeter cubed. Wow. I mean, what in this world is a kilogram per centimeter cubed? That's a highly dense substance because water is, you know, one gram per centimeter cube, more, more or less how we made the scale. As another great thing to use for scaling weight with water is that a cubic decimeter, so four inches cubed, would be 2.2 pounds, one kilogram of uh, water. And um, yeah, a cubic meter of water is a ton, one metric ton, 2,200 pounds. So yeah, that's hard to push around. <laughs> that's, that's an inconceivable number. All right, last, yes. last but certainly not least, the Google. Oh. So one with 100 zeros behind it or 10 times itself 100 times. This is where the company Google got the idea for the name and by accident changed the spelling. And it was just a hint that the large capacity of information that Google could contain someday. A great example of Google is Hawking radiation or the natural decay of, of black holes over time. One supermassive black hole, which is typically the size of a singular galaxy, takes about 10 Google years to decay. So I would love to get into that with another show because black holes are super fascinating, but I'll leave you off here with a teaser, but black holes do evaporate over time from Hawking radiation. Wow. Way above my pay grade. All right. I just like Google. I mean, I hate Google. I like, there's some things I hate and like, it's one of three numbers that is a verb along with 86 and 69. <laughs> I'm blown away that you found a real life example of Google, especially in a non three-dimensional one, but actually in a linear one because time is linear. So I'm very happy to hear context for a Google number, even if it's still kind of uh, inconceivable to me. Google is just, if you have to explain it to another species, it's the number of our fingers multiplied by itself, the number of our fingers times the number of our fingers. That would be it. So that's all it is. It has no mathematical. It's just kind of someone just decided to make a fun big number that's easy to write down. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, 10 to the 100. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Googleplex. So that's 10 to the Google power. 10 to the 10 to the 100. Right. 10 to the 10 to the 100, which is pretty crazy. It's 10 times itself of Google times. It's the Googleplex. Another way of putting it is it's a number starting one followed by zeros and the number of digits is a Google. Yes. Yes. Here's what's really fascinating and it's really relevant. So we talked about the amount of particles in the universe, 10 to the 81st, right? So there's not enough particles in the universe to allow you to write out that number if you assigned one particle per zero. The digits, just writing the digits of it. Yeah. If you took one atom per digit, mm -hmm. you would still be off. You would still need 10 to the 20 times more, yep. <laughs> which is, well, what, what number was that? Sextillions. If you had 
uh, a sextillion universes, you would just barely have enough particles to then list the digits of this number. Yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't love that one because I can't think of a practical, unless you have one, I can't think of a practical example of Google Plex. It was more practical towards the amount of particles in the universe. I just wanted to hit it up just one more time and say, this is how massive this number can be. And we can't write it without running out of particles. Like it's, it's nuts. Assign a particle to the zero. I can one up that in the next round though with something I read recently. I'm so excited. I can't wait. So, okay. So we talked about big numbers in the universe from a physical perspective and you have a grasp of the number scale, scientific notation, and how you can break these numbers down into smaller bits. Matt and I are going to take a short break, but stick around with us because when we come back, we are talking about big numbers in statistics. So stay tuned. Hey, my fellow listener, if you love what you are hearing, my team and I would greatly appreciate it if you threw us some spare change, you know, just so we can continue to make this show better and better for you. To do this, head to our website, everythingsteve.org, and click on the donate button in the top right corner, or go to our support us page, whichever you choose works for us. If that's too much work, we totally get it. You can slide me some dough via Venmo, and my tag is at prozoomstudent. Or conveniently, if you don't have Venmo, throw us some cash on the Cash App. Our tag for Cash App is at Everything Steam. And at last resort, there's always a subscription option on our official anchor.fm page. You can subscribe to us monthly for just merely 99 cents. Listen, any little bit helps. And just so you know, we are honored to serve you as your source for Steam information. So thank you for your continued support. And as always, stay curious. Welcome one, welcome all to the last segment of Big Numbers with myself and Matthew Bessard. This segment is focused on big numbers in statistics. Hey Matt, would you want to start us off by just explaining why statistics is super important and how big numbers play into statistics? Yeah, statistics, uh, statistics, I love it. I love it. It's deemed one of the, the least interesting types of mathematics, but I find it very exciting because numbers can get so out of hand so fast, even with practical, simple examples. And I think flipping a coin is a pretty great example because a a coin only has two options, heads or tails. You flip a coin, the odds, and we're gonna make a little bet. If I'm feeling lucky, I bet bet you $10 this lands on heads. That's a pretty good chance, right? 50-50, might take the bet if I was feeling a little risky and had some extra pocket cash. Now we flip that coin twice. And you're betting me, well, what are the odds it goes heads twice? Well, now, because we're looking for one specific thing, heads, heads, the odds are one in four because we multiply two by itself. So the odds went from 50% down to 25%. Pretty pedestrian example. Still a decent odds, though. One in four, hey, you know what? If there's a good enough payoff, there's a five times payout on a one in four flip, take it, you know? You go to three. Now, what are the odds getting three in a row? Well, it goes down to eight. And this is the simplest example. This is the slowest rate at which your odds could diminish is with a two-sided coin. If we did uh, a dice, rolling a dice, it would be one-sixth and one-thirty-sixth. So three flips, you're already at eight. Uh, one in eight odds that you get three heads in a row. Uh, let's jump to 10 because that's one of my favorite numbers is if you were to flip a coin 10 times, the odds of it being that are about one in 1,024. So 10 flips is not that many, but you don't want to take that bet. Mm-hmm. That's not lottery odds, but 
it's got to be a lucky day or you got to you got to get a lot of chances on goal 20 times that number now is one in a million uh less than one in a million that you could flip a coin 20 times in a row so again if you're thinking about time however long it takes you to flip a coin 20 times you know maybe not that long but you would have to do it about half a million times statistically before you landed on the combination you wanted, which is all heads, or any specific combination or outcome of coin flips. I could say, what are the odds you get tails, heads, tails, heads, tails, heads perfectly? Now it's really getting crazy. That's And that's only with 20. Now let's go to 30. Now we're hitting less than one in a billion because that's 10 to the 30th power. And 40, now we got trillion. 50, now we got quadrillion. And that's me just rounding because that one that I'm rounding off that 24 at the end of a thousand, that number becomes very important very quickly when you have 40 or 50 of them. It might be, I should do the math, but it might be even more astounding. That little difference between a thousand, a thousand, 24 exponentially, whoa, could catch up with you fast. There's a great example. Oh, great, great example. I, I wish I knew the numbers. Actually, let me see if I can pull it up while I explain it. This TV show, Futurama. Oh, I love that TV show. You a fan? I am a fan, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to Google Futurama interest rate. There we go. They gave a great example. Fry was frozen in the year 1999 and had a bank account with only 93 cents in it. 93 cents. That's a lot. You can forget about a bank account like that. Dude, I, I, if I drop 93 cents down a subway, great. I'm like, meh. But no big loss. And he falls asleep for a thousand years, not that long in the grand scheme of things, a thousand years, with a compound interest rate of 2.25%. Again, very uh, moderate interest rate. If your uh, financial advisor was only giving you 2.25% a year, you'd fire him and hire a new one. <laughs> yeah. After a thousand years, a little over a thousand years, that 93 cents is worth $4.2 billion. Billions. <laughs> You would be set for life with the amount I tip my barista every morning if you just sat on it for a thousand years. That's astounding. And the one caveat to that fact is inflation would probably be a faster number. So $4 billion in the year uh, 3001 might not be that bad. If you've ever read this book, Snow Crash, billion and trillion dollar bills are uh, low currency because of hyperinflation in the near future. Great book, by the way. So that's a great example of compound interest is a great thing where we sit as a branch of statistics, maybe. It's certainly a practical thing because student debt has compound interest. Credit card debt has compound interest. But also if you're saving, if you're putting money in a NASDAQ index fund, it's compound growth. So it could be working for you or against you. And I believe Einstein said it's the most powerful force in the universe is compound interest. I honestly just want to get into a cryo bath and just, you know, wake up in a thousand years and <laughs> yeah. a billion dollars. Buy some GameStop and take a nap. Yeah. The uh, another good example. So this is the kind of problem you come across in applied math. Let's say you want to go to the grocery store, the dentist, and then the dog groomer. And they're all spaced out on a map. Grocery store, dentist, dog groomer. And you want to figure out what's the shortest route to drive to point A, point B, point C, and then back home. So you have four locations. You have to go home last. So let's just say three locations. There's actually six different routes you could take. You could take ABC, you could take ACB, you could take BAC, you could take BCA, you could take CAB, CBA. 
six combinations with three stops. So that's the thing. If you wanted to type it into your Google Maps and then toggle, you only have to try six combinations to see which is the shortest route. Let's say you're an Amazon delivery guy who has 20 stops. So by the way, that number six, you get that because it's three locations, three times two times one. 20 locations would be 20 factorial, which I'm going to guess you already know what factorials are if you're listening to this, but in case you don't, that would be 20 times 19 times 18 times 17 all the way down to one. And let's calculate that number because that's the number of options you would have to try for routes if you were just trying to take guesses at the shortest path between 20 different. That is 2.4 to the 18th power. Can you remind, uh, e, not not to the 18th power, uh, E18. So times 10 to the 18th power. Oh, that's a quintillion. Quintillion. There's a quintillion options. You could do that until the earth falls into the sun. Woo. And I still would not think I've tried all of the possible combinations. So computer scientists, applied mathematicians have to come up with some very clever ways to efficiently sort out these routes because you can't just guess every option. That's only 20. That's a slow day for an Amazon driver, 20 stops. It's a good thing they got beautiful software Yeah, <laughs> to tell them that. <laughs> yes, some very smart minds. And I think I'll get to what, what I said was my favorite number, which is a uh, favorite big number, 52 factorial. That is the number of combinations of a shuffle of a deck of cards because there are 52, a random deck of cards. Well, what are the odds? The first card can be any of those 52 numbers. You flip it over, you see a three of hearts. Now there's 51 different cards that next card could be. So there's 52 options for the first card times 51 options for the next card times 50 for the third card. 52 factorial is, um, I believe that number is uh, E67. Let me type that in real quick. 52 factorial, that is 67 zeros with eight in front of it. And happened to come across this number uh, myself for context. That's the number of molecules in our galaxy. And that's a number that Vegas dealers have to deal with every day. Anyone programming a, a blackjack machine would have to consider that number. If you want to hear someone smarter than me explain this, just Google the keywords for this because there's multiple videos on this. But if you take a deck of cards and shuffle it properly, the odds of that ordering having ever existed even once in the history of humanity is less than the odds of winning the lottery five nights in a row. It will not happen. You can statistically say with about as much certainty as you can muster that unicorns aren't real, that that shuffling has never happened. Not once. You could have computers shuffling cards at a supercomputer rate every minute, uh, every every second, and you still would not come close to getting every possible combination of deck of cards. That's unbelievable. It's a great number, 52 factorial. And that's just a deck of cards. It's not even that many cards. What if you take a couple decks of cards? Oh, my. Like they do in every game of blackjack. <laughs> So those are the numbers as an applied mathematician I glom onto because they happen very quickly, very suddenly, and they're a problem, and you got to get clever in how to deal with them. Yeah, absolutely. I have two really quick examples. Right. So I don't know if anybody out there has a, a Rubik's Cube, but the total combination of a Rubik's Cube, right, it's 43 times 10 to the 18th. If you like solving them on a regular basis, the total combination of solving the Rubik's Cube is 
43 times 10 to the 18th. Wow. Yeah. So 43 quintillion. Guessing randomly is not a good way to go. Nope. Not a good way. Yep. Look up the algorithm. Right. I've taken a, uh, an abstract algebra class or watching the lecture series online by uh, Dr. Bill Kenny. Really great course. And that's the logo for most abstract algebra classes is a Rubik's Cube because it follows a lot of the laws of group theory. Nice. I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. going back to the Google real quick, this is a statistical example of the Google. Well, if any of, of you remember a challenging game called chess, one Google is the hypothetical number of possibilities in a chess game. Wow. You can't even write it out. Using all the particles in the universe by assigning a, a particle per zero. But in statistics, it's as simple as playing chess. Yep. And that's including even the crazy ones where you just take a, a rook and just keep moving it forwards and backwards one step. Yep. You know, there's so many possibilities. So I was looking up big numbers and, and the real behemoth that comes up a lot is um, Graham's number. Which, do you have an explanation of it? Because I don't think I fully understand it. It's just based upon uh, a tesseract. A four-dimensional? Well, it, it actually deals with four dimensions and up. Uh, so they're looking at dimensions that are higher than the dimensions that we truly care about. I mean, unless you're a string theorist, but <laughs> most people don't care about string theory. But anyways, it's pretty much uh, finding out if any of the vertices, like, am I correct? Do or don't touch? That sounds right. And... Graham's number kind of goes up to a maxima of the nth dimension. I think it was like like the highest that he went was like 13th dimension. And it was a disgustingly massive number. I have context for that number. Please. Please look this up. I'm not a professional, but this is what I read on Reddit. Planck volume. Not a super useful thing, but Planck volume would be a cube with a Planck length on each side. Nothing conceivably can go smaller than that. It is. God, the word microscopic is such a stupid word. It is even next to an electron. The smallest length known in the universe. That's the smallest anything could possibly be. This is the smallest we could care about anything. If you took our observable universe and saw how many Planck cubes you could stuff into it. Oh. Yeah, you're getting a picture now? Yeah. The number of Planck cubes you could stuff into our uh, observable universe. It would not be enough for the number of digits of Graham's number. What? We can't even write it out. There's not even a way to write it out, write it out. We can't even like, we can't even write out the number after E. That's a number we can't even write out. Or the number after E after E. If we could do times 10 to the 10 to the, still not enough. Wow. <laughs> That's the biggest I got. Maybe, uh, maybe Rollo's number would be bigger than that, but I don't know. I'm not too good with Rollo's number, but definitely looked at, at Graham's number a little bit. Like, I know that they invented a new way of explaining the exponential. It was like up arrows. Yeah, right. Where it's like, it's a number to itself that many times. So exa for example, like, it might be called titration, where it's two squared would be that function on two, because it's two to itself two times. But then for three, it would be three to the third to the third. Yes. So it would be three to the ninth power, which is a big boy, not like outside the range what we're talking about. And then four would be now starting to break the range of numbers we discussed. And beyond four, you can't even think about it. Guinness Book of World Records for largest theoretical mathematical number at the moment. Well, I'm, I'm going to break the record right here today. That number plus one. Boom, did it. Uh, yeah, that's... That's fair. 
Hey, before we move on to that real quick, I do want to talk about SKU's number because SKU's number is based on universe configuration. It actually hurts my head to think about it. And I was thinking about it the other night. I'm like, oh my, I, I had to go out and grab a beer. I was thinking about it too much. Uh, but it deals with the multiverse theory where there are a 10 to the 10 to the 10, 10 to the 34th number of universes in the multiverse. Pretty much calculating the number of combinations in which there are iterations to life or the assortment of, like we talked about, the particles in the known universe. That 10 to the 81st power that I threw out earlier, it's the number of combinations of particles. Wow. Floating around. So in layman's terms, in this life, you know, you're a mathematician, a stand-up comedian, but in another, you know, we never met, or in another life, my name is uh, Matt Stanford and yours is Sam Broussard. It's crazy. And, and it's crazy to compute because neuroscience has shown that the human mind is only capable of 10 to the 10 to the 16th configurations. And this is 10 to the 10 to the 10 to the 34th. Yeah, well, I don't know the science of that, but I imagine that's assuming particle configurations. Yes. In open space. So if we just look at 52 cards, and that's just 52 elements with only 52 slots and how big of a number we got. Imagine the number of how we could arrange protons, electrons, even smaller particles in space, and all of our observable galaxy, like it was each particle was a new new card in a deck of cards. <laughs> That's the scale, which we're, and I think that even understates the scale. Yeah. Think about it this way. You know how I said that there's like a certain amount, I think it was like 7 trillion uh, cells in our body. Think about it now just on a molecular scale, but like breaking it down into atoms and trying to take that atom and put it in you and you give me an atom and I put it myself. It, it's And then just on a big, broad scale across the universe. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. That's why I had to, I had to walk away. It, it just... Yeah. <laughs> take a take a deep breath. I mean, that's that's why we just say there's an infinite number of realities to the multiverse, because that number feels like it's infinite to us. It, maybe someday it won't be. But for now, that's kind of where our brains are in the evolutionary path. We're just we look at these numbers and we're like, wow, that's just infinity. But well, it's actually it's a, it's a little bit smaller than infinity. That's right. So I guess last but not least. Let's define what infinity is, because many like to associate infinity as a number, but really it's more of like a complex. So would you like to explain infinity to us? Yeah, I often have to remind myself the name infinite. It is not finite. And infinity, it's a very hard concept. It's a very hard number to reach with units of things but if you were to take a number line and be able to if you just take any any length and say i could fall anywhere along this scale and there's no limit to my decimal precision well then there would be an infinite number of places ignoring planck's length uh it can actually pop up more easily than some of the biggest numbers we know i i know we discussed this before i kind of like to think of it as a number i know you don't but i've done enough calculus and riemann sums that it, it's fun to think about it or infinitesimal Yes. I usually explain it as a concept to somebody, but in terms of a, a, you know, a theoretical mathematician, I guess it's kind of like back to what I said at the beginning, where, where numbers are kind of relative, depending on uh, what you're doing in life. And I always like to quote, so if you're a, a Star Wars fan, Qui-Gon Jinn, where he said there's always a bigger fish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's always an N plus one. So if you think Graham's number's massive, well, there's a Graham's number plus one. N being the number that you're thinking of now, there's always 
one greater. Yeah. My first taste with Infinity that made me really kind of get excited about it was I remember doing calculus and the teacher said, we need to find the slope between these two points on some parabola. And you can calculate it. You're like, well, what if we put the points a little closer, a little harder to calculate, but we can still find the slope between them. And then the, we got a little closer, you know, we were off by 0.1 or 0.01. We're trying to see that slope and we could see it was getting closer to something. And the teacher said, we're going to find out how to, you know, now we want to figure out if it's like infinitesimally close, what that slope keeps getting closer and closer to. And my first thought was, well, we can't do that. We can't find a formula. And if we do, it's going to be an ugly answer. And then you learn derivatives. Yeah. Which takes infinitesimal steps. And, and you're like, whoa, that was so easy. Wait, x squared is just 2x? How is it that easy? No way. No. I'm not going to tell me it's not. It's, it's a number we can figure out. It's a whole number? Get out of here. I don't, it's an easier number? Uh, and then Riemann sums we learn, which is let's find the area of something like a section of a parabola. And we know those numbers get pretty ugly between when you're trying to square decimals or cube decimals and you add up. Let's say, let's just cut it up into two rectangles and add it. Well, that's close, but it's still going to be short of the actual area. Let's say cut into four rectangles. What about we cut into eight rectangles? Now they're all skinnier. The Riemann sum is an infinite number of infinitely small slices, and that gives us the exact area. This is what Newton and Leibniz did, and it changed math and made calculus, which I love. So, well, I guess Riemann, maybe Riemann did that because it's, it's called a Riemann sum. Yeah, I know Newton was a contributor to calculus. Heck, during the... He created it. Oh, Newton started calculus. Wasn't it during the bubonic plague that he invented calculus? I think so. And and formulated his theory of gravity? Yeah. Well, he, did, he wasn't even a mathematician. He was a, a physicist. He created Newtonian physics, and he just needed calculus to unlock it. So he was like, well, I better figure this out so I can do what I really want to do, which is uh, see how fast apples fall. Leibniz did it for the love of the game. So I got I to gotta say I like that guy a little more. But Newton did it first. There's always the first people. Then somebody comes along and says, I'm going to tweak that. You know, nobody's ever, nobody's ever truly wrong. Like maybe someday when we figure out the, the gut theory and, and we prove Einstein's theory of relativity to be skewed, it doesn't mean Einstein was wrong. He was just leading us somewhere. Right. It's incomplete. It's an incomplete theory. Yeah, it works very well for our purposes here on Earth and even into space. Sizes of infinity. You want to talk about that? Sure. I'd love to. So we talked about, this is a thing that I've only watched YouTube videos on. Uh, maybe I, analysis, we did this, we proved this. But um, there are more numbers between zero and one than there are whole numbers. <laughs> if you go zero, let's start, let's say we started zero. Zero is for the first number, or one, let's start one. One's the first number. Okay, well, now there's two numbers because we got two. We count to infinity, even though that's infinite, never ends, you'll never stop. There are more numbers between zero and one. Yes, because this was a mapping we talked about earlier. Let's say we, we want to find every number between zero and one, no matter how yep. there's no end to our decimal precision. And we can have as many decimals as we want. If we map from those whole numbers, let's say one over one is our starting point. Well, that gives us one. That's the end of our scale. And then we take the next number, we map it to one over two. Well, they have another number and they have one over three and one over four. And you can look at a distribution of these numbers. We definitely get a lot of numbers. We definitely get a, a lot of numbers close to zero. That's where it starts to get more and more. The numbers get closer and closer together. But we're missing most numbers. So we're taking an infinite number of numbers between zero and one, and we're not even scratching the surface on how many numbers there are. So that's the sizes of different infinities. Very true. 
It's just even thinking about this, you know, when you took your first one over one, then one over two, well, think about all the numbers that were in, in between one and one half. Mm -hmm. Yeah, between one half and one. Yeah, 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 exactly. In fact, there's an infinite number of number between any two numbers, no matter, you can, you can have a Googleplex zeros and then one after a decimal, and then you can have the next number and then two. Right. And just between those two numbers, there's an infinite number of numbers. You never run out. Ooh. And that's just the second size. So this is Aleph, I believe that's Aleph null. You just count one, two, three, four to infinity. And um, all of one, two, three, you can make these bigger and bigger. And each time you make it bigger, it's even harder to find a way to do it. And uh, people have lost their minds pursuing this. So, <laughs> Yeah. You got to take a deep dive on YouTube for a little bit. Maybe fall asleep, wake up in the middle of night, and then you just start hear somebody talking about infinity, the infinity of infinities. Did you ever do that? Yeah. Oh, a great example of infinity, though, uh, I guess a simpler one I should have started with is one half plus one fourth plus one eighth plus one. Those numbers get smaller. If you add them all up, an infinite number of them, you should get one. You have an infinite number of numbers, but it's very finite in its sum. Very true. But if you add one over one plus one over two plus one over three plus one over four, that does go to infinity. That never stops. No matter what number you're looking for, you can add up that series of numbers and get at least there. You can get to a Google adding that way. It just takes, it would be such an absurd number. Oh, that would be, I think that trumps everything we've done is using that to get to, it might trump everything we've done. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Is that a mic drop? <laughs> Yeah, I think we might have bested ourselves there. That's a pretty slow way. It would take a lot of those fractions to get to the numbers we've talked about. Whoa. Big numbers. Big numbers. What a fun tour of big numbers. Thank you so much. What a fun subject. I know, right, Matt? Well, hey, it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. You know, this was seriously so awesome. I hope to collab some other time. Absolutely. Yeah, we'd love to come back. Awesome. All right, thanks so much. Good. Best of luck to you. That is all for this episode on Big Numbers. Now I'd like to give a big shout out to my guest star, Matthew, for sharing his knowledge and vast expertise. I would also love to mention my amazing team for their collective efforts to make this show happen. As I mentioned before in the episode, please do us a favor and give us some feedback by filling out the community poll or question wherever you get your podcast from. Or heck, even send us an email or DM us your thoughts about what you've learned. Also, please check out Beam at beammath.org. I cannot express how fantastic that organization is for trying to shape the futures of young individuals through education and opportunity is so beautiful. Take your time to look through their website and get involved in one way, shape or form. For a more direct link, head to our website, everythingsteam.org and on our homepage, scroll to the organization section and there you will find the Beam link. And of course, give Matthew's content a watch or listen. To get some snapshots of his work, follow him on social media. Matt's Instagram handle is at Monday Hyundai. Lastly, after this episode, give our podcast a rating and review on whatever platform you get your podcasts on. We're always looking for feedback and the rating would greatly help us out in the fight against the algorithms. Once again, thank you all for listening to Everything Steam. I'm your host, Sam Stanford. And as always, stay curious. Everything Steam would like to give a shout out to Anchor by Spotify for sponsoring our podcast along with Ben's Sound Music for providing our show with intro, outro, and advertising background rhythm.